You're listening to the Around the Lens podcast, the home of high-quality, roundtable, visual journalism discussion about the news, topics, and gear related to our career field. Now, here's the host of our show, David J. Murphy. Hello and welcome to Around the Lens, episode 228. I am your host, David J. Murphy. Joining me this week are a whole host of great guests that are going to talk about all things visual journalism, as that's what we do on the show. This is a visual journalism discussion roundtable podcast. So thank you for joining us. Uh, of course, our regular co-host, as always, is Mr. Travis Keyes. He's a freelance portrait, fashion, travel, event, and humanitarian photographer and chairman of the APA New York, based out of New York. Hello, Travis. Hey, Dave. What's going on? Not much, buddy. How are you? Good. What what wild and crazy times we're living in. Oh, my gosh. I know, right? Every single day, it's something new. Uh, but it does seem like things are getting a little bit maybe back to normal a little bit. I don't know. I don't know. It, what is normal anyways? It's the new normal, right? <laughs> yeah, um, it's just a different different time. You know, it, luckily, the looting and riots uh, uh, seem to, to have taken place for peaceful protests and a lot of you know, am- amazing change in people uh, around the world uh, letting their voice out, which is uh, beautiful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, our first, we have two guests uh, on this week's show. Our first is Claire Thomas, a British photojournalist whose work focuses on conflict, humanitarian, and social issues currently based out of New York. Hello, Claire. Hello, hello. Thank you should, for having me. I should say you're based out of Manhattan because that's like two separate worlds <laughs> right there. Like Travis is in upstate New York. You're in Manhattan. Yes. The heart yes, of the world. I know, a lot going on here at the moment. Indeed, indeed. Interesting. And you just moved it's there, hard. right? Yes, I've just been here since February. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I absolutely love it. I didn't think I'd love it as much as I, I did. Now less so, um, yeah. since, since the lockdown, things have not been as exciting. But yeah, amazing city. Really, really phenomenal place. I love it. Would you consider yourself a New Yorker yet or not? Um... Well, when I walk around my neighborhood, I, I see people who I know, which is, a, is always a nice sign. Um, but, yeah, I think I'm getting into the swing of it. I, I'm not a city, uh, city person normally. I'm from a tiny village in Wales. Yeah. Um, I went to a school of 20 people as a child. So this is a bit of a change. But, yes, yeah, so I, I, I think I'm getting into the groove of New York, definitely. Just throw a couple. I'm walking here and you'll be fine. <laughs> Oh no, I'm not that not that far. <laughs> uh, our second guest with us uh, is Miss Jen Osborne, a freelance photographer based out of Canada. Hello, Jen. Oh hey there, how's it going today? Good. How are you? <laughs> Excellent. I'm in good health and good spirits. Is everything all nice and polite in Canada? <laughs> From what I've been witnessing in the U.S. news, yeah, things are quite mild here, but we do have our own issues. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Great. Well, happy to have you all joining us this week. So as we do here, let's uh, get right on with the show and talk about all the topics. We're going to be focusing primarily on, of course, the Black Lives Matter protests. Um, And we'll just jump into topic number one. Uh, which is about the protest. So we're going to be talking about that in sort of general terms here for the first, I'd say, 15, 20 minutes of the show, if not longer. We'll see how long it goes. Um, and I want to, of course, throw it to our guests. And since we have two, I'm going to throw it over to Jen first and get her take on this. Um, so, you know, of course, uh, the Black Lives Matter, the George Floyd protests, you know, these have all you know, been um, triggered or I would say uh, started uh, out of the horrific death of uh, Mr. George Floyd, and of course the the protests that have ensued have gone on for I think almost two weeks now. Um, so we've seen a lot of activity around this. You know, there's been uh, at the top of you know uh, pretty much everybody's radar with regard to a story that you know we can't escape because it's ever present, uh, as it should be. Um, there's a lot of things that need to be worked out with regard to to race and, and rights and um, whatnot in the world and, and within the United States. So. Uh, obviously, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of protests. Uh, Jen, Jen, what's kind of been your take on everything? I mean, there's a lot to discuss about this. Uh, 
First of all, I would like to say any opinions I discuss here do not reflect the media outlets that I have freelanced for in the past. They're my opinions, mine alone. <laughs> Good disclaimer. Um, I've been covering a multitude of protests over the last month. It seems like that's the biggest thing to focus on right now um, due to COVID-19. So I've been sticking to open air events such as uh, solidarity with the U.S. protesters over George Floyd's murder. Uh, that's We've been having protests here in Canada. And previous to that, I was um, photographing a very different, it almost feels like a polar opposite kind of protest, the reopen protests right, yeah. here in Canada. So, yeah, here in Canada, the protests have been much milder than what I've witnessed on uh I haven't witnessed U.S. protests in person. I've only seen them on the news. I'm not able to cross the border into America to document those on my own. Um, Is that because of COVID? I, I think something that's happening due to COVID, yeah, the U.S. Canadian border is currently locked. And it's a tragedy, really, for those of us who felt the need to photograph the crisis down in the U.S. But that brings me to another note that I feel like people from those communities should be um, working for news outlets in the U.S., uh, I've heard a lot of complaints that white male photographers are covering protests around George Floyd's, Floyd's murder. Um, I would like to see editors sending out photographers of color to document those communities. So in the end, it's not a big deal that I haven't been able to cross the border. I don't know if I'm so entitled to be reporting on that. But the more media, the better, because it is a very important issue. Right. And we do need to be documenting this point in time. How have uh, the protests been in Canada? Did you want me to expand? What, 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 how, compare, like, again, you know, for us, you know, obviously we've been seeing a lot of the use uh, protests, but, you know, internationally there have been protests as well. How do the protests in Canada compare to the ones in the U.S.? Primarily, they are much more tranquil. Well, uh, we do have a big issue with racism in Canada. Um, my friends who are non-white particularly say that indigenous rights are the main issue here in Canada, but there's been a lot of um, racism towards our Chinese population, has a huge Chinese population, and it's been going on for decades. Uh, and there's a lot of anti-Chinese sentiments going on up here at the moment. So our protests have been sort of tying into those issues. Um, they are often in solidarity with Black Lives Matter, but they're covering Indigenous rights and any people of color who've uh, been discriminated against. People are talking about systemic racism up here. I know in the U.S. there's a lot of arguments going on now that uh, I heard something about the police force is denying that there's systemic racism in the police force. Of course, there's systemic racism in the police force in the U.S., and there is here. Um, so the, I think the most of year our protests uh, got were in Montreal last Sunday, May 31st. There had been some tear gas used against oh, wow. protesters. Uh, but... Like, yeah, it doesn't compare to anything in Minneapolis or, you know, yeah. Atlanta, Georgia, or any of the states in the U.S. Yeah, I know, right? New York. Since you've covered both the reopen and also the, you know, Black Lives Matter protests, how have you sort of approached each protest differently in terms of a, a subject? You know, do you do you cover them differently or do you do you approach each protest the same or do you protest, you know, cover each protest differently? Yeah, the reopen protests are, I have to say, they're much like the uh, far right kind of style protests that you might see in the U.S. or uh, um, like the Proud Boys have been instigating re reopen protests in the U.S. Um, that's an alt-light, alt-right group. So here in Canada, you're, we're finding a lot of far right Christians at these events, but politically, there's a very big um, you know, there's left-wing anarchists even at some of these reopen protests or people that don't believe in anything. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a large portion of conspiracy theorists at, at the reopen protests in Canada. So what I'm getting at is uh, people are very suspicious of my presence and yeah. very suspicious of the media at reopen protests. Um, they've lost tr trust in public institutions. Yeah. 
However, uh, protests in solidarity with the American protests around George Floyd's murder, um, I felt people were very welcoming having me there to take pictures. They know that their message needs to be heard, and they, they're even posing for photos with their signs, trying to have pictures taken of what they have to say. They want those images to resonate uh, far past the duration of the protest itself. Right. Whereas at the reopen protests, I've been having conspiracy theorists come up to me and interrogate oh me, gosh. asking me if I'm a police officer or a CSIS, uh, which is like the CIA of Canada. Um, they come up to me saying, oh, you're working for someone. You're getting paid big money to be here. It's very paranoid. And it's very difficult to combat that. Um, initially, one wants to be aggressive when people interrogate you that way. And um, I show them my press card and I try to prove who I am and they still don't believe me. <laughs> but uh, it's important to not be aggressive because my goal is to maintain trust in media. Yeah. I feel we do play a very crucial role mm -hmm. in democracy. Right. So I try to be as calm as possible in those situations yeah. to keep some kind of trust around what I'm doing there. No, I think you give them a reaction, you play right into what they want you to do, and that just fuels their whatever mentality they have. Oh, fake news this, fake news that. I went to a Trump rally uh, one time. It was more of just, you know, it was in my neighborhood, and I was like, let me just see what this is all about. And it was interesting because I had some friends in the media who were covering the event. I went down to hang out with them after the uh, event was over. And it was just, you know, again, you saw that sort of um, misinformation that's been spewed about the media to them, you know, coming at you know the, the people. You know, I was just sitting there with them. But, you know, again, you had people being like, uh, where's the non-biased news media? Where, where's the real news or something like that? <laughs> where's the not fake news? And, you know, my friend who is, you know, yeah. again, doing this full time and working for news agencies, he like lit up the person telling him, hey, listen, this is, you know, we are all legitimate news media here, yada, yada, yada. You know, your misconceptions about news media aren't welcome. So, you know, you just get this sort of. It was interesting to see it firsthand because up until that point, I hadn't really been directly exposed to that type of, um, you know, the rhetoric or, or you know, uh, I guess opinions on on media that had been pushed out. But when you, when you kind of approach a protest, you know, whether it's open borders or you know reopen protest or uh, Black Lives Matter or whatnot, um, do you approach them all the same way or do you kind of approach each one differently? Is that for me a question for me? Yeah, again? yeah. yeah. yeah um, just you know, again, when you when you approach a protest, does the subject matter so I, affect it all, yeah. or does it just a protest is a protest is a protest from a visual perspective? I mean, I think we we have to conduct ourselves in the same way at any public event. That means I shouldn't be clapping, even if I internally agree with what's going on. Uh, for example, at a Black Lives Matter protest, you know, I wanted to clap a lot while I was right, there yeah. at the protest on the 31st in Vancouver. But it's important for us to remain neutral in the public eye as a representative of the media. So either protest that I would go to, I try to not disclose my opinions. I try to go with an open mind to not be judgmental. Um, I have to go, you know, politely and hear what people have to say and to photograph what's happening. But uh, the reopen protests are problematic because they've kind of turned into a no mask protest right. and um, they get really angry if, if you wear PPE. And I feel I'm ethically obliged as a photojournalist to wear PPE whenever I'm photographing anything in public with a large group of people. Uh, because if I go out a week later and shoot something and I'm asymptomatic, you know, I could be causing a huge spread of the virus. So I'm wearing PPE to protect myself and to protect others. But nobody at the reopen protest really accepts that. Oh, so gosh. I'm modifying my PPE a little bit. I'm wearing less severe PPE while I'm there. At the Black Lives Matter protest in Vancouver, I was wearing goggles oh, wow. um, okay. for full eye protection. Yeah. At the no mask protest i was not wearing full goggles just my normal glasses and keeping more distance 
Um, because those guys just start to circle you and inter- interrogate you at a no mask protest. They'll tell you, you don't need that PPE, take it off. What are you doing here with that stuff on? Yeah, that's, <laughs> so, um, that's the most mind boggling thing. It becomes really tough. That's the most mind boggling thing is that somehow people are trying to equate no masks to whatever. And it's just like, guys, it, it's not a political issue. It's, it's a safety issue. And it's just, yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad sometimes that I'm in Korea where, you know, things are much more calm in a lot of respects uh, with regard to everything. So, <laughs> but uh, love America. Love you guys. We'll be back as soon. But anyways, uh, maybe figure out what's going on first. Okay. <laughs> next year, next year. But uh, let me throw it over to Claire. Uh, you know, Claire, I know you're not covering the protests right now directly, but you've, right. you've covered protests in your career, I have to assume. So tell me a little bit about your yeah. overall observations of what you've seen as sort of an outsider perspective and kind of um, your sort of a personal take on protests and how you cover them in general. Um, so, yeah, actually, my career in photojournalism sort of started with the protest in, in the West Bank. Um, and I quickly learned some of what well, I made a lot of mistakes um, with like positioning, logistics, and I ended up in well, in the eye of the storm, surrounded by by tear gas canisters, and not being able to find a way out because I was in completely the wrong place. Um, but it's really interesting to see the the protests here. And I mean, I'm in Manhattan, but I, I feel like I'm in a bit of a, a bubble here. I haven't we haven't seen much going on in in our neighbourhood exactly. But watching the news is it's quite astonishing to see such large protests. And, and I mean, I think it's it's a wonderful thing, actually, to, to, that, you know, this is happening peaceful where it has been peaceful. Um, and, and I think the, the coverage of it has been has been really good and has gained a lot of media attention. I mean, it's it's fascinating how quickly the news, the global news cycle changed from the pandemic to the Black Lives Matter movement and is dominating the news cycle globally. And I think... Um, but, you know, the the coverage has been superb. So it's, I don't know, it's interesting as an outsider watching. And, and obviously, I feel frustrated that I'm not out there taking pictures. Um, that's, that's quite hard, <laughs> especially since I'm, I'm so close here. But I mean, part of me is, is kind of, I, I do worry about, about the, you know, the coronavirus and the spread yeah. uh, of, of the, the virus and taking part in the, in the protests. Um, but yeah, um, what else can I say? Well, other, other places I. Oh, no, I was going to say. I mean, you, you said you kind of you wish you could cover the protests. I mean, is there anything? You know, if right. I'm asking, anything stopping you if you wanted to go down and just go outside and cover them, or is it? You know, is there a reason you're not covering them? If you, if you, if you... Um. Well, not not particularly. It's just that I I'm working on other projects at the moment, okay. and I'm not really I'm not here. Um. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm just uh, I'm, yeah. It's basically that I'm working on right. Other, other projects but I think if, if it continu- continues I probably would but also I find it very difficult as a freelancer when it's a huge story like this I find it quite difficult to place my work um, with with editors because they, they're already covering the story they have a, there's a lot of amazing photojournalists staff reporters staff photographers covering it so um, I, I, I struggle then to, to, to be able to get my work noticed um, so then I, I, I'm not, not as inclined. Um, Excuse me. I don't know where it's coming no. from, but I'm hearing a little bit of microphone noise. So if just Is that me? Maybe. Yeah, it's when you're, your hand's on the desk, moving around your hand's on the desk. <laughs> I think you're clicking the uh, mic. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard with the, with the, with the <laughs> headphones. All right, I'll, I'll stop fiddling with it. Thank you. Is that better? Perfect, perfect. <laughs> Wait, can I add something to what Claire just said? Yeah, please. Because um, as a freelancer, too, I struggle with that, placing the work. And I don't normally work with wire uh, services, but I approached the Canadian press the other day because I felt compelled to report on small town protests. Mm -hmm. And I said to the wire services, can you please assign me? Because my pictures aren't going to get published unless I'm shooting for you guys because it's hard news. So for any freelancers out there, if you're freelancing with wire services, this might be a good time to approach them to make some pictures. (laughs) Yeah, that's a whole other thing. It's like if you want your voice hurt, you know, getting your stuff out there is that's like a whole other thing. And in terms of, you know, getting even hired for wire services, I mean, 
I don't even know how you would do it in the United States because there's so many people out there covering the event and so mm-hmm. much coverage and so much they can choose from. I think they would just say like, thanks, we got it covered. You know, you can, you can feel yeah. free to post the stuff on your own website and whatnot, which I think is a lot, what a lot of people are doing is they're just publishing it, self publishing it online, you know, through their Instagram pages or websites or whatnot. And, you know, perhaps, perhaps it gets picked up, perhaps it doesn't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, so uh, again, Claire, can you talk a little bit about, you know, your sort of experience with the protests and, and kind of how you approach them visually? Yeah, sure. Um, so I do think that the, you know, context and understanding the context of each protest, uh, is very, very important. So for example, I covered a lot of protests in Europe, uh, around refugee camps and, and, you know, there was, I mean, in the Calais jungle refugee camp, there were nightly protests and clashes with riot police when they were preparing to dismantle the camp and evict everybody. Um, and so in, a, in in that kind of context, I am very, very careful not to show anybody's faces or any identifying features because it can have an impact on their asylum claim later on. Um, and of course, it can people can take my presence in the wrong way. Right. Um, so yeah, I think I definitely try to approach each protest by understanding the background context beforehand. I think that's important. Um, and I mean, other than that, yeah, of course, it's, 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 it's great to, to try and, and speak to the people like, like Jen was saying and, and have conversations with the protesters to understand what their motivation is for being there. And so I, I certainly try to, to speak with people as much as possible um, for my own understanding and, and to be able to show that through the images. Yeah. So it's not just a bunch of random group of people with signs. You're not just getting your typical right. your typical sign shots in any protest, I have to imagine. But, you know, really digging down deep into the heart of what the story is behind the protest, right? That kind of shapes yeah, the overall yeah, image narrative. Point. Okay, cool. And, and, yeah. and Travis, I know you haven't obviously been out in, in the city yet to kind of photograph any of the protests, but you have covered your own fair share of protests in, in your sort of time. Um, what are your take on, you know, the protests in general and, and uh, sort of your experiences based on um, these events? Um, well, I, seeing it, it, it's kind of wild to look at this time in, in history. And I don't think uh, it would have been as big and as impactful if we you know, it's the perfect storm. You know, if people if COVID didn't happen and people weren't sequestered at home and and spending so much time watching TV and had the time off from work, uh, wouldn't have led into so many people seeing right. the events of you know of Floyd, and it wouldn't have led into seeing so many people walk out onto the streets that how were able to you know go protest. So I think it's this perfect storm. So it's unfortunate that uh, we're we have to be careful of COVID, but also I don't think it could have happened to this extreme around the world if it wasn't for COVID. So uh, one is kind of helping the other. So you have to kind of weigh the good with the bad and that. And I think hopefully that uh, if this can be a, a catalyst for a world of change and uh, outreach and compassion and, and uh, equal rights and justice for all, that then it's worth the, the price. Um, uh, I've certainly talked to, because uh, of my other show, Open Talk, talked to a bunch of journalists and uh, talked about the protest and uh, talked to pro- uh, uh, journalists that have you know, been in D.C. and New York and uh, and brought up a, a lot of issues uh, on the protest. You know, so I think we went through a whole transformation of very, the anger and people using the protest and you have protesters and then people saying, oh, protesters are, are violent and riotous. And like, no, it's the looters that are doing that and they're, they're two separate issues. Uh, and uh, also that the it seemed that uh, journalists were sort of being targeted by police uh, and in their reporting and um, being shot at in terms of like, pepper bullets and tear gas and, and uh, uh, unnatural kind of situations. And uh, uh, a lot of journalists I talked to said it's, it's been a hairier situation than they, they've been used to. And it, it's felt very uh, different. Yeah, that's a good point you bring up. And for you too, Claire and Jen, you know, have you obviously, you know, I know, Claire, you haven't been in this protest, but, but you know, how have you uh, been as media and, you know, Jen, you can talk more specifically about this, but, you know, how has sort of the media response been to you both, you know, in these protests and previous protests? How have you been treated as media in general? Have you been left alone? Have you been sort of, I guess, attacked or um, centered or uh, say focused on perhaps? Or, you know, what's kind of been your experience as media? Throw it over to you uh, first. Um, Whoever wants to speak first. You know, I had an incident 
with police while covering the reopened protests in Vancouver. Uh, I believe that was on May 10th. So the reopened protesters the week before that had gone to the paramedic to the hospital in Vancouver, the main central hospital on Burrard Street, and they were screaming at first responders, uh, like all their paranoid anti-mainstream medicine talk. Um, and they were like getting really close to the first responders and screaming at them. And then the next week they had a protest and one of their members fainted. So, of course, I had to photograph this because what are they going to do when their member faints? They called 911. They called the paramedic to come and save their protester. But the week before, they had been screaming at paramedics. So I was in there taking pictures of what was going on. There's like a little scrum that happened. And a police officer actually came and shoved me. I was on the sidewalk. I wasn't blocking traffic. He came and shoved me out of the way. Uh, but he, it, it occurred to me later that I thought that maybe he thought I was a protester and not a photographer because right. I didn't have, like, any official media signs on my shirt. My press, press pass was under my um, jacket at that point in yeah. time. So the Vancouver uh, Black Lives Matter solidarity protests have been very chill. The p- police have been very, um, what I saw there, they were quite supportive. And there was no police presence at the small town protest that I went to on Friday recently. So I don't sadly have any major feedback to report other than getting shoved by that one police officer. Okay. How about you, Claire? Any, any interactions with the police as media, like specifically you think ever targeting you as a media or you think you've been pretty much left alone? I've been, I've been lucky. I've been left alone. Um, as 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 far as I can remember, anyway. I mean, the, the worst I've encountered was, I mean, the uh, intimidation by Israeli forces. Okay. Um, but I don't think that's, to, to me, it, as a representative of the media in particular, it's just everybody. Um, but, I mean, I, 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 another incident I can remember feeling a little bit nervous was during um, a fairly large protest at the camp in Idomeni. I don't know if you're familiar with this refugee camp on the the Greece border with Macedonia. And in March 2016, they closed the border. Macedonia sealed off the border, uh, which left thousands of refugees stranded on the Greek side. And so they were were having peaceful protests, you know, to try and get the border to be reopened. And at one point there was a a clash with Macedonian police. They started firing tear gas over the border. And it it caused it caused I mean widespread panic and fear and people were terrified and because they they were firing a lot of tear gas and and then I remember a lot of people seeing me as as the only real I think at the time I was the only woman there because all the women and children were further back and a lot of people coming to me and and screaming at me and saying why are they doing this we've come to Europe for you to help us why is this happening. And not that I felt, I mean, they, they were, people were desperate, they were scared, and I, 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 I didn't feel threatened, but I certainly felt a little bit nervous at the time. Um, but yes, yeah, so I, I can't think of anything else other than that. And I mean, in other protests, I feel like whenever people see a journalist or anybody with a camera, they come to, to, ha- to have their voices hit, heard yeah. because they want their picture and they want to be recorded, they want to, to give a message. That certainly happened in, in Kurdistan um, during the shortly after the referendum for independence of Kurdistan in 2017. And when, when the Iraqi federal government imposed sanctions on Kurdistan for holding the referendum, which they deemed illegal, there were quite a lot of protests. Um, call it, they were blaming America, I think. Gosh, I can hardly remember. But I just remember a lot of people coming up to me, screaming, chanting, Death to America, things, yeah. things like that, because they were they wanted to express their anger sure. at the situation. Yeah, absolutely, you know it's interesting because yeah, I'm sure you've. Oh, I had that happen before too. Oh, please go tell us. Oh, oh wait, we're being a journalist. Uh, someone from a particular political side targets you as if you're a representative of that country. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it happens a lot, doesn't it? When I'm in Eastern. Yeah, like in eastern Ukraine, I was photographing in Donetsk uh, during the war in Donbass, and the pro-Russian 
some of the guys, like they were chilling out outside of a hospital and they all started coming up to me. They heard my English and they were yelling at me. They thought I was American, but I'm Canadian, but it's kind of the same to them anyway. Yeah. And they were telling me, yeah, all this stuff about their political mandate and getting really aggressive. (laughs) So, yeah. I I remember I, I, uh, like... I don't know about a decade ago when you know we were at the height of the Iraq or Afghanistan war, the recommendation was to Americans if you're going to travel internationally, put something Canadian on your, uh, yeah. your luggage or your bag or something so people <laughs> yeah. think you're Canadian, not U.S., so they don't like you know attack you or steal from you or something. So, but uh, there yeah. you go, that Canadian. Unless you're in Ukraine, because Canada, Canada's very openly pro-Ukrainian, um, yeah. because we have so many Ukrainians that have built our country and my husband is actually ukrainian mm. from ukraine wow so uh so pro- 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 russians don't like canadians for that fact in to generalize <laughs> yeah. anyway um, so before we move on to our next topic i did want to kind of throw this general question out to all of you you know we've seen a lot of aggression towards the media at these uh these protests and whatnot you know whether um on purpose or, or accidental or whatnot. But, you know, again, there seems to be a, a higher amount of just general disregard for the media. Do you think that is um, more of an issue of the sort of intensity and nature of the protests or more of an issue of sort of the general regard for media and society? Mm, I, I think it's more to do with the, people's perception of, of the media Nowadays, especially given how how Trump is constantly accusing reputable media outlets of being fake news, I think it's it's exacerbating that that uh, that terrible perception of the media. But yeah, I, I just find it unbelievable to see the footage of, of the attacks on on cameramen. Um, I, yeah, I can't believe some of the the videos I've been seeing. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. What do you think, Jen? Yeah, this is something I actually want to investigate. I'll be going to do my master's of journalism uh, over the next two years. I've decided to, you know, step my profession up a little bit uh, in an academic sense. I want to investigate uh, throughout those two years, where is this distrust coming? I mean, yes, Trump is slamming it in the news, but I think it began before that and... A lot of people I know who are more like liberal or even left, more left wing, they're also distrustful of the media. Um, And I always try to understand where they're coming from and I try to have discussions about it. And I just feel like they think their voices have not been heard. But I tell them like there's so much, so many news sources you can look at. Why don't you just choose more carefully? Because you can't just sweep everything with one brush stroke it's it's we've got cnn we've got fox news we've got everything in between but trump is amplifying i think the danger level for journalists in america specifically i mean he's sort of openly encouraging people to attack journalists and with his aggressive language and uh it's really hard to combat that he's such a public figure it was a question that uh, I kind of brought up on, on my open talk uh, last week. It was uh, for the first time in the last uh, several years, uh, America has been put on the pro- most pro- pro- on the most problematic and uh, dangerous list for journalists, which is yeah. something that you don't expect to see in America, and uh, something worrisome for you know other journalists to, you know, that are coming here to shoot and our own journalists. Um, do you even bring that into your own consciousness now, or have you paid attention to that? Or it's certainly an issue. So something I was thinking about, okay, well, what if I managed to get through the border during COVID-19 to cover these protests now? Like, A, I think it's impossible to cross to the border, but B, if I got through and I don't, say I just came as a tourist and I don't have like O-1 visa to, to work as a journalist in the U.S., I immediately was thinking of oh, police brutality. They're going to check my passport to see what kind of work visa I have, and they're going to deport me as an illegal worker because they're becoming so anti-media I just that was immediately what popped into my mind so 
I don't know if I feel 100% secure photographing those large-scale events anymore in the U.S. without the proper documentation. Right. That's why you're asking for a wire to give you sort of that coverage, right? Or that top cover? <laughs> yeah, they can help with that. But, yeah, I mean, I was working with Canadian press yeah. here. Uh, but, yeah, that would be great to work with AP or something. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Well, I hope anyone out there on the front lines covering the protest stays safe. Obviously, it's uh, not an easy job, but we do appreciate you for what you're doing and putting your your live and your safety on the line to uh, get some really high quality coverage. I mean, I'm just looking at some of the stuff here, you know, from the Guardian and whatnot. I mean, this is some some really intense work, and I think we'll be looking back on this, you know, historically, and you know, this will definitely be. An interesting time that we reflect back on. It'll end up in the history books, I guarantee it. All right, well, let's move on to our next topic. Uh, we're talking about uh, Teen Vogue, so a magazine I read almost daily, personally, because I always want to know what the teens are going. You know, get, That's cool. Get, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, I try and stay on top of the memes. I was so impressed. Right. Uh, but Teen Vogue uh, recently put out an article essentially teaching people how to photograph you know, police misconduct uh, safely. Um, that's their kind of, atten- you know, uh, sort of approach to it. And I thought this was interesting because, you know, a lot of people don't think of Teen Vogue as sort of the being at the front lines of social issues. Although, you know, I, I know it's been reported, you know, in the, you know, since the election, there has been this sort of the shift amongst Teen Vogue to kind of focus more on social issues, which I think is important. I think it's important to get teens especially involved in understanding what's going on in the world. I know when I was a teenager, I had no idea what was going on, nor did I care. But uh, it's interesting that they put the, you know, that spin on it in terms of just focusing on these type of things. But, you know, again, from a larger perspective, I want to know your thoughts on should, you know, should a magazine or should an entity like this that focuses on primarily talking to teens, you know, be essentially giving them the tools to cover an event like this? Should they be encouraging coverage of an event like this? Because we already have, you know, and generally we've spoken about this on the show many times, you know, the, the issue with citizen journalists, right? You know, everybody out there with a camera phone or, you know, buy a camera off the shelf considers themselves a journalist. And perhaps you have an issue there where there's almost almost too many people with cameras out at these things. And then when you have, you know, putting in the, the cop's perspective, right, you have everybody with a camera. You know, how am I supposed to discern between the actual legitimate working photojournalist with an, a legitimate press pass and somebody who, you know, happened to go buy a camera off the shelf at Target um, and made a press pass on their printer at home or something like that, you know? So it's like, or, or again, the, the person who has a cell phone and considers them a citizen journalist and saying like, oh, you know, and they're holding up their, you know, their phone and saying, you know, they're a journalist. And again, they could be, but I'm just saying, do you think that there is a potential risk therein by uh, equipping everyone with the sort of knowledge and capabilities to be a journalist, or do you think this is sort of a, a good for the cause because you have more people who understand what they're doing when they get out to these type of events? I'll we'll throw it over to you first, Travis. Why me now? <laughs> well, you just talked to two—you just talked to two outstanding photojournalists on your program, Open Talk, uh, which you can—we'll we'll probably link to uh, in the show notes and on the website because you know you had Evelyn Hochstein, and I'm sorry, I don't remember the, the name of your other guest, but um, well, you, you also had Jamie Rose and the other guest who I, I didn't, yeah, the yeah. name escapes me at the moment, yeah. but you had some great people on the talk about it. So. Again, what are, your, what are your thoughts on Teen Vogue putting out this kind of information? Uh, you walk a fine line here because, I mean, he, the, the, as you said, you, you don't expect Teen Vogue to, you know, be the, the the catalyst for you know that type of information and and taking a, a very hard line political uh, step on on protesting and stuff like that. But at the same time, I think it's very important that you know it, it all starts with education for the for the young people. And if we don't get them when the, while they're young, uh, we see where it leads to, especially at the old men in our government in the U.S. Um, so I think that the more you know we have uh, women in power and uh, you know and equal rights and 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 
education at a younger age, it, it can only be better, hopefully. But uh, as long as the message is one uh, of pure empathy and, and good, then uh, I have no problem with it. Uh, I, I think it's a, it's an important thing that, that uh, hopefully we see from all these uh, protests that uh, everybody is starting to realize that, uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter where you come from. What matters is, you know, you know what's inside your heart and uh, how you act towards other human beings. And, uh, and it's time to stop playing all these silly games. Uh, you know, we're one world and uh, we have to stop seeing ourselves uh, for all the differences because there's a lot more stuff that uh, binds us together than they'll ever, you know, divide us. And if we stop, start looking for everything that why we're different, we're never going to get anywhere. So it's very, very important for us to all have a, a unification voice of, you know, when you meet someone, it's like the first thing is like, oh, I don't, I disagree with you. Everybody's becoming so tribal uh, that it's, it's scary. So, I mean, is at the same of the day, if you met anyone and started talking about, oh, well, do you like uh, eating steak or do you like, uh, you know, food? Or, you know, there's so many things that tie us in together. Why are we always looking for the one thing that divides us? So it's uh, that's my feeling on it. <laughs> I think it's interesting. You know, the article itself actually provides some pretty practical tips for teens or whoever. I mean, this the, the, the advice they're giving here, such as like using a six digit password for your phone, not just touch your face ID. I've seen that advice given because then you know you can force you know the the phone can technically be forcibly unlocked you know against your will oh. uh pattern lock i'd say you know don't use face id touch id or pattern lock use a six digit password set the phone automatically back up to services like dropbox or google drive that's very important considering you know your phone could be dropped you know or fall <laughs> out of your hands somehow or or, or if you have, for some reason, evidence or something that uh, is, you know, to back it up, you know, because a phone can get destroyed on the spot. But when you're having photos and video backed up instantly, the, those are important things to have, especially with, you know, when people are filming, you know, incidents being pulled over by a police or something yeah. like that. Uh, uh, and security and the password thing is very important as well, because uh, the legality of them having you open a phone uh uh, with face ID is one thing, but uh, they can't force you to put in a password. Right. So these are they're, they're very different legalities, uh, you know, that are very important to do that. Yeah. And you know, I think with like your typical camera, your typical camera hopefully is going to survive getting jostled about, or you know, like for instance, Evelyn. I think her camera gear per your show is getting shot at by you know different sort of pepper balls or or whatnot. So that's that's a, a real concern. I mean, you know, throw it over to you all. You know, you're putting your lives out there. You're putting your equipment out there, you know, Claire and Jen, you know, how are you sort of justifying that to yourself, especially if you're a freelancer, you know, are you, you know, do you have a plan for your camera equipment in case it breaks or you're, um, you know, are you kind of just going to be out of luck? I actually made a claim on my camera insurance, uh, in the last month. Okay. Um, because at one of the reopen protests, I got kind of pushed and the camera just kind of slid down my shoulder, but it kind of jolted and almost hit the ground. Then all of a sudden the lens wasn't communicating with the camera anymore. So I was able to claim that on my insurance because that's a working hazard. I also got nearly assaulted while I was photographing in Australia. I went down to cover the bushfires in January, February, March. And a, a, a logger assaulted, like he tried to assault me for taking pictures when he was um, using one of these claws to clean up the bushfire zone trees because they reused the trees. They stripped them and reused them. And he came running at me screaming, you you effing greenie. Uh, that's like slang in Australia for like green voter. You're ruining my work and he came flailing out of his machine and at first I could hardly believe it I didn't expect that uh, in Australia and he came right up to me and um, started screaming and pushing me and grabbing me I actually train in jiu-jitsu um, and I've got experience with a Russian martial arts system called Sistema so I was really calm when he came up to me and he was actually really af he became afraid of me because I wasn't reacting and I wasn't getting scared of him uh, long story short, he was trying to smash my camera. So this kind of stuff happens all the time. Um, but in my opinion, sometimes the best photos, obviously, they're those that other people don't want you to take. And I'm not talking about, like, refugees in a camp who you're putting at yeah. risk for showing their identity. I'm showing, like, showing acts of social injustice or whatnot, environmental injustice. Um, we put ourselves at risk to do that. So, What kind of insurance do you have anyway, for Claire? your camera equipment, by the way? <laughs> yeah. What? Um, 
I use a company called Front Row Insurance, and it it covers pretty much everything except for car theft, uh, because if you leave your gear in your car, there's a very high risk of being robbed. So the insurance company doesn't cover that. Yeah, it's like... But I think um, the thing with the Teen Teen Vogue article, I just wanted to put in here before we forget that topic. I saw that article as more of a way, it's like a risk assessment Mm -hmm. or... um, you know, as photographers, if we go somewhere dangerous, we do a risk assessment and we sort of think of what we can do if this or that happens. Uh, so that Teen Vogue article was kind of in a way to prepare youth for the risks if they do attend these protests that they love to go to. Is everything okay over there? Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's, he's got a little one. Dave's got a little one, so... Oh, I thought you might have a cute little doggy over there. <laughs> a cute little human child. Yeah, I should let him in and have a little viral moment, you know, or something yeah. like that. But absolutely. absolutely. But you know, going back to the Teen Vogue, like you said, you know, is is putting out this information um, helpful or dangerous, or is it is it going to affect you as sort of the working freelance photojournalist, or is it is it good for more people to have this type of information? Yeah, I, 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 um, no, go, go sorry, Claire, go. No, no, I, you go. I just talked a bunch. <laughs> go ahead, you, Claire. You, you give us your opinion, Claire. All right, cool. Um, I thought it was a very interesting article, and um, the advice is good. I think that really good practical tips that I would take on board. But it surprised me that it was in Teen Vogue. I mean, I, I feel like we shouldn't encourage youngsters to put themselves at Mm -hmm. at risk i'd be worried if i had a daughter or a son i'm not sure i'd want them to to read a magazine that they really like and then you know with their sort of suggestible minds feeling like that's giving them license to go out and put themselves at risk but here's here's the flip side just just because i want you to continue on that (laughs) is uh a lot of parents aren't teaching their children to be safe and do this so wouldn't it be better that this information is out there because they're going to do it Yes, I think I think that's that's the reality is that the kind of people who are reading that article are probably going to go out anyway and take part in the process, and in which case then they absolutely should should heed the advice. So I think in general it's really good, and in terms of it, um, you know, the the competition between citizen journalism and professional, I, I don't I, for me I don't I don't think that it really is a case of competition. I think there's plenty of space for for everything. Um, I think that the people who are at these protests as activists, I think they're, they're there anyway. They're going to, um, you know, provide some, they're going to take pictures and video, and then it's our job to provide the more, more in-depth stuff later on. But I, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I don't see, yeah. My, my biggest fear with it is, like, <laughs> you're putting, you're giving sort of, you know, it, almost a... You're encouraging it, right? You're saying, like, hey, here's how to do it. Here's some things. You're, you're still going to have teens out there protesting. And I think that's a good thing in a sense because, you know, they're taking an active interest in sort of world affairs, which a lot of teens probably don't do. I think it's good to, you know, they're going to be out there anyways. But I think, like, for instance, in the instances I've seen where you have the clashes, right, between police and protesters, you know, when it comes to, like, curfew and you have the protesters going from just simple protesters who are peacefully protesting to turning into more of, like, civil disobedience protests and stuff like that, you know, you, you're, in a sense, they're saying, like, hey, you want to photograph police misconduct. So now it's kind of like saying, get up there to the point where you can kind of get in the middle of that because you're shooting with your phone or something without a wide-angle lens. And it's almost like saying, hey, here's how you can, Mm. here's encourage you how you can capture that and then putting themselves in that sort of danger zone, so to speak. Whereas, you know, again, maybe like a more professional photographer would shoot from a distance or perhaps shoot with a wider-angle lens. Or again, you're not, as a police officer, you're not looking at, you're confused by like, you know, you got like 16 people with camera phones and then there's a, you know, photographer and stuff like that again I, I think there's a lot of you know issues going on there but you know again i think it does potentially encourage the wrong behavior versus just straight going to a protest to protest versus now i'm capturing this and i have to be the the photojournalist so to speak 
So uh, one thing that I think is problematic about the article is it could confuse the lines between activism and mm. the role of journalism in society because when we do that, uh, we make the jobs of journalists much more dangerous. So I it would have been helpful in that article to say, yeah, you're not a professional journalist. If you're there as an activist, taking pictures can be for this purpose. But um, like journalists in society, we're not, we shouldn't be activists because that blows our neutrality right. and our credibility. The other thing that I wanted to say is, say one of those teens who has their iPhone is equipped to do this because of that Teen Vogue article. Maybe they're walking home alone and they see something happen that no one else is there to bear witness to. So all of a sudden, they become a crucial um, observer in that point in time. And, you know, they have the power to capture that and to document it and have evidence. So that can be positive. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's something to be said about having more cameras on a situation, right? I think probably we've seen more instances of, you know, misconduct and whatnot because of the amount of cameras that are potentially, you know, filming everything. But, well, let's go ahead and move this. Since it's kind of, you know, you talked touched on activism with regard to photojournalism. Let's go ahead and move on to our last topic this evening, uh, which is about, you know, we've seen this, I'm sure you've seen this kind of popping up in sort of your news feeds and whatnot is the uh, blurring of faces at these things or, or not showing faces when photographing protesters. And, you know, Claire, you made an interesting point because you were talking about, you know, how you uh, sort of avoided faces or you were more concerned about that. Kind of talk a little bit about more about that aspect in terms of how you did your work covering protests. Um, right. Yeah. So with regards to the, the refugee crisis, then yes, I, I I totally agree that it's important to to shoot in a, in a different way. I mean, a lot of the protests were at night anyway, so you couldn't see anybody's right. faces. Um, so I think that's really important. However, in a in a situation like this, where people have the constitutional right mm -hmm. to protest, they're not breaking yeah. any laws when it's peaceful. I don't see the problem with showing faces and I, I would never blur out faces in my images, certainly. Um, so, I mean, I, I liked, I read one article where Brent Lewis, who's the business editor, I believe, at New York Times, I like what he said, that showing faces is, is essential connective tissue for yeah. reporting. And I, I, I think that's so true. I think it's really hard to get people to resonate with the cause when they're just seeing a massive of faceless people. I think it's so important to show faces, but obviously in the right context. So it's so important to understand. I tend, to, I tend to question where the intent of this, in the days of conspiracy theory and, and speculation of so many things, where the intent of not showing this came from. Uh, because I tend to think in a day and age where, Every street corner has cameras. Right. There's no yeah. there's no presumption of not seeing your face somewhere. And people saying, oh, people, you know, oh, the FBI will are, is using uh, you know people's uh, video content to to ID uh, you know people. I'm like, well, they're maybe IDing people that were looting or pro but they were breaking the law. You know, yeah. protesting is like not showing someone's face at a protest. They're not doing anything illegal. There's nothing to worry about in that mm -hmm. frame. And uh, the whole reason of like, oh, they might get in trouble. I'm like, well, there's cameras everywhere. They they took those upon themselves to go out and protest and use their voice, yeah. they're out in public. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I exactly. wrote on a comment board, I said, hey, if you don't want to have your face photographed at a protest, don't go to a protest. And then, you know, yeah, like you said, protest <laughs> isn't illegal. Protest is perfectly legal, especially when it's in a peaceful context. It's, you know, when people are breaking mm -hmm. the law or looting or causing destruction or tagging or whatnot, that's when you have the most serious cases of people like, whoa, 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 don't cover my face, don't take my face. Or if you're, or if you're in a, if you're in a, uh, a political climate where that person is putting their life on their line to to help people or you know protest yeah. something, and he will could get killed by the government or you know or, or you know whatever, that's that's a whole different story. Mm. Uh, what's your take on this? All? Yeah. Jen, you, you said you've had some run-ins with protesters and whatnot. Have have they been you know, pretty wary? And I got to say, in terms of covering faces, like this is the most perfect time. If, if you're worried about your face being out there, you're wearing a face mask. Wear the face mask. COVID. That's right. You have the perfect excuse to cover your face. Yeah. The funny thing 
think if I did to uh, a Black Lives Matter solidarity protests in the last week, one was last Sunday and one was last Friday, I mean, a week ago from this previous Sunday, and nobody told me, please don't take my picture in Vancouver, where there was between five to 10,000 protesters yeah. there. But in small town Courtney on Vancouver Island of Canada, I took some pictures and I actually had a few people telling me, please don't take my picture. Um, and they had full face masks on and they had hats on and you could just see a little strip of their eyes. That's all and, the government needs. Yeah, I was really curious. You know, I didn't talk. To them. Yeah, I didn't really understand it because you really couldn't see who they were. And I've had I've experienced that a lot throughout COVID-19. Doing street, I do a lot of kind of more aggressive street photography, and people have come up trying to punch me. And but I took their picture and they're fully covered. Like you cannot, like no one. I mean, maybe their partner or their parents would recognize yeah. them, but I just don't understand. And I think it's just that the act of, yeah, the experience of being photographed can feel like a violation sometimes. Sure. And if people are in a bad mood, they're just going to tell you to go away. <laughs> so it's maybe not that they're always concerned about their identity. But the reopened protesters, they just seem paranoid that I'm the CIA or the CSIS or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they think I'm going to do something with those pictures. And then they're telling me to go do, do this and that, to F off. Yeah. And um, I, I don't know. I just respect it. If someone tells me they don't want to be on camera unless there's like a Pulitzer Prize winning photograph there I just leave them yeah. alone because it's not worth the struggle and the, they can create so much dissonance for me covering a, an event if I don't respect their wishes right. so I just leave them alone and move on to someone else yeah. Yeah, like <laughs> there's enough protesters I can go capture one of the other thousands of people protesting <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. So, yeah, that's an interesting point. And, you know, I throw it over anybody. You know, if somebody did come up to you and said, hey, don't photograph me or you can't photograph me or yada, yada, yada. Do you try and explain to them like, well, actually, you know, First Amendment and, you know, you're out in public, yada, yada. Or do you just be like, OK, sure. See you later. Yeah. And I, if, if anybody tells me they don't want to be photographed, I generally just walk right. away. Yeah. It's the same like thing said, for it's street, street photographers throughout the ages. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the same predicament. Avoid the conflict yeah. if possible. I just know that yeah, to avoid the conflict because there's so many bigger struggles. And there, it's such an emotionally draining line of work sometimes yeah. that I need to preserve myself for more important battles. Right. <laughs> Good point. Yes. Yeah, I just... I like that. But... Um, if people are really rude with me and they start telling me, you need to ask permission before you take a photo, sometimes yeah. I will get into it with them that they're in a public place and I'm really sorry that I offended them, but they're in public, etc. Depends on my mood, too. We're not perfect. As sometimes we mess up as journalists, too, and sometimes we engage with more aggressive conversations, and there's always those certain conversations that I regret having, but in general, I do the best I can. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah, with regard to kind of, you know, blurring out faces or, or whatnot, I think that's completely mm -hmm. unethical. I think, you know, you were talking about, are you a yeah. photojournalist or are you an activist? I think once you start blurring out faces, you're no longer sort of a, a freelance independent photojournalist. You're now leaning more towards the activist side because yeah. that's what all the activist groups mm -hmm. have been putting out there. They've been the one who've been putting out this sort of guidance you may have seen on Instagram and whatnot saying like, hey, blah, 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 you know, blur, blur out faces and all that. I think that, again, that comes from the activist side. Would you all agree or disagree? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with yeah, you. Totally. I agree 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah. So are you all going to – I know – but I still Go ahead, Jen. I just I still respect the wishes. If if people are getting really aggressive and saying don't take my yeah. picture, then I will back off. But it's also partially for my safety and just for keeping more, maintaining peace at an event to not contribute to a peaceful protest. I don't want to make a peaceful protest violent right. because I refuse to stop taking photos of someone who's getting really angry right. yeah absolutely I mean, you're not going out <laughs> so. there with a bodyguard and you know spotter and stuff like that you're just there by yourself with your thousands of dollars of camera equipment which as we've learned from travis's podcast 
you can get mugged for that, right, Travis? <laughs> oh yeah. Have either of you been, have you been mugged or have your equipment stolen or attempted stolen? No, thank God, nothing. Not so far. No. Uh, I got jumped in Cuba when I was really young. Like I'm 35 years old now. When I was like 20, I was stuck. That was my first documentary working in Cuba. Wow. And um, when when Fidel Castro was like he was out of the picture, people didn't know if he was alive or dead or whatever. Wow. And I got jumped. And I started screaming, and people came to help me, and my camera was fine. They didn't yeah. get it. So, that's quite yeah. a rarity in Cuba. It's, that's one of the safest places I've ever felt I've shot in my life. <laughs> um, you know, I was walking yeah. off in some rougher neighborhood because I had this idea, too, that Cuba was so safe. But I was kind of exploring the more outskirts of Havana. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, Cubans later told me, oh, that wasn't a good idea. It's actually not very safe out there. So Yeah, no, there's definitely parts where they don't expect to see us. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah. So, so. That's my only experience, like, getting jumped for the purpose of people wanting to, you know, um, poverty leading to, you know, that kind of behavior. Yeah, and Dave they was referencing to someone. to get my gear and sell it. Dave was referencing someone on my podcast who that who had their gills stolen. I didn't. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I have never had that experience. I hope to never have that experience. But you know, uh, for you, Jen, I mean, would that be covered by your insurance if someone stole your gear? Yeah. 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 It would That's be. Uh, the thing is, my insurance. If I'm shooting abroad, the deductible is seven hundred and fifty dollars. Whereas if I'm shooting in Canada, the deductible is three hundred and fifty dollars. Oh wow! So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> but I have the same thing. It's so package like, photographer's insurance yeah, by Hill and Usher. Oh gosh! But yeah, that's. And is your deductible different D- depending on where you're photographing? If it's in the U.S. or, or abroad, there's a slightly difference. Yeah. Gosh, I have no insurance. Well, there you go. For my, I would, I would have insurance. You need it after the, after this whole experience. Insurance. I would definitely because I've I've covered protests, but they've always been sort of peaceful, organized protests, and like never and never any of the clashes. Like I've seen video of the clashes mm. and the, the when it turns to the sort of dis- civil disobedience and it turns more to the riot atmosphere and whatnot, and that's scary stuff. And you know, I've never been in that type of situation. It's always been sort of peaceful protests. So I've never had any sort of fear about my gear being uh, damaged or whatnot. But as it sort of you know, like for instance, uh, Zach was having uh, mentioning how he's been pepper sprayed and other sort of things happening to him. Like they've been shooting rubber bullets at him. So, and you know, Evelyn of course mentioned how potentially her, some of her gear got messed up or stolen or whatnot. So yeah, I wouldn't go in any of these situations nowadays without some sort of insurance. Hundred percent. Here's the key. Once you have insurance, you're going to find every repair that you have to be done is only like $100 over your deductible, so you're not saving any money. Yeah. Yeah. That's That's what's going to happen across the board. But but if something does catastrophic happen, you know, they they lose it on an airplane or you get mugged or stuff like that, your gear is totally covered. That's good. All right. Or if you fall into water. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. right. (laughs) That can happen. All right, well, that's going to bring us to the end of this week's show. Uh, Claire and Jen, thanks so much for being uh, guests on this week's show. I really appreciate it. Uh, we'll start with you, Claire. Where can people find about, more about you and your work? Um, so my, my current website, uh, which is in the process of being redeveloped and should be ready to launch at the end of this month, but it'll be the same domain name, which is just clairethomasphotography.com. Yeah, and I also want to thank you for sending me some of your images. If you go to our show notes for this week's episode... I actually posted about a dozen or so of Claire's images that she provided. So thank you for that, Claire. Wonderful stuff. Thank you. Uh, definitely some very powerful imagery here. Um, and so I'd highly recommend everybody go check that out. Uh, and Jen, where can people find out more about you and your work? www.jenosbornstudio.com or I have an Instagram, which I just, I only started using Instagram when COVID-19 hit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, that's Jen underscore Osborne underscore photography. That's great. That's great. And Travis, anything got lined up here people should know about coming up in the next week or so? 
Yeah. Uh, this week's open talk is actually going to be a really good one. You have Steve Irby, uh, Irby from uh, Street Dreams Magazine, and uh, he's been out uh, uh, covering the the protests. And uh, as a as someone who kind of Street Dreams is amazing because you know he grew up in the streets of of New York and has a real kind of music background and kind of started you know shooting rappers and stuff like that. So his take on uh, shooting the uh, you know all all that's going on in New York in his own backyard is is really cool, and uh, we also have a, a Jessica uh, Foley, who's the regional director for me for uh, American Photographic Artists, and uh, she's also part of Street Gym, so she'll be on as well. So this week's going to be a really kind of I'm, I'm looking forward to having a discussion with them, especially since they've been out really seeing it firsthand. Great, great. Uh, next week, we'll on June 15th, we'll be having. And I hope I'm not butchering this name here, Fabeha Monir. Um, she's another oh. excellent woman photographer uh, who I also found on womenphotograph.com and just you know because you both mentioned it shout out to that website excellent website a lot of great female photojournalist photographers on there Um, in fact every one of my guests for the most part you know as many as I can are coming from that website so a great resource for the show great resource for different voices in our industry to come speak so again so glad to have you both on and from that website as well Um, so awesome to support that and everything going on there Uh, beyond that if you'd like to support the show uh, please go to patreon.com slash around the lens you can donate to uh, the show and get everything we do ahead of time Um, if you'd like to support us in other ways feel free to follow us on all the social media platforms of choice we're on instagram twitter facebook and whatnot youtube so your your subscriptions and your following and your sharing of our content via those platforms is very helpful and of course you can find links to everything we've talked about today uh, to include the social media uh, websites i just mentioned and of course our show notes from tonight's episode on our website aroundthelens.com so please go there and uh, find everything that we've talked about and contribute to the discussion we always want to hear your thoughts on what we've talked about Do you think we're right? Do you think we're wrong? What are your thoughts? Um, Share those comments on the Facebook page specifically, and I'll make sure to go in there and respond uh, if I think that, you know, I can contribute anything to your response. Always love to hear from the audience and get your comments. All right. Well, I think that's going to end this week's show. Uh, Claire, Jen, thank you so much again for taking time out and appearing and and talking about your thoughts and feelings on the subjects that we discussed tonight. Uh, You're always welcome back. Thank you very much, Thank Steve. Thanks for having me. And Travis, of course, <laughs> uh, thanks again for being there for me always, buddy. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure, brother. All right. Always a pleasure. Uh, for Travis Keys, I am David J. Murphy. This has been Around the Lens, episode 228, and we are out. Thanks for listening to Around the Lens. We hope you enjoyed the show. To continue the conversation, head on over to one of our social media outlets such as Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or Twitter. To support the show financially, consider donating to us via Patreon. For show notes from this week's episode and links to everything else we talked about, just go to our website, AroundTheLens.com. Finally, if you or someone you know might be a good guest for the show, get in touch with us via email at info at AroundTheLens.com.